Good morning, evening, or night, everyone. This is Jackson, and we are back in the Hannah C. Howard studio. I am here with Dan. Greetings. Also known as Hutch. Greetings. Also known as... I don't know what else you're known as, but I'm sure you have many <laughs> Nothing names. we can say in public. <laughs> 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 I wasn't in public, but then you threw me into public. <clears throat> Never mind. <clears throat> Welcome. Welcome to Life on the Vine. So good to be here. Yeah, it is. It is. Always. Weather is getting nice. Yeah. We are post-resurrection, and the earth is singing for joy. Yes, it is. Flowers are bursting into bloom. Mm-hmm. I had lettuce from my garden last night. Yum. Yeah. Yeah. I it's not like my favorite thing from the garden, yeah. but it's the only thing that's alive right now that we can eat. So still still pretty good. Yeah. Add a cheeseburger. A little bit different. Well, I mean Was I, your lettuce on the cheeseburger? No, we did actually do we didn't have buns mm. and so we had to do lettuce wrapped burgers Ooh. last week. Which actually was pretty good. Yeah. Um it's still not, not a bad ideal. I'd rather have an actual bun, but it, we weren't trying to be like healthy or anything. We just didn't have buns yeah no last night the lettuce was uh alongside a focaccia Ooh. with lots of olive oil and rosemary yes. and a uh vodka cream sauce pasta so it was not a healthy meal don't get me wrong it's a delicious meal it was pretty tasty yeah if i do say so myself uh so. dan is a master chef does everything by hand so there's no electric tools happening. I'm just mm, making some of this. Most up. of the, <laughs> Dan's the, the, the bread was handmade. There, yeah. was, there were no electric tools used in the making. Dan's of bread. a purist. Yeah, I've seen him use one of those like hand mixer beaters instead of not like a hand mixer that you hold in your hand and like push a button. Like yeah. the hand mixer you hold in two hands and like twist the yeah. the gears. All my kitchen utensils were made before 1950. <laughs> That's, that's probably true. <laughs> that's not entirely true, but it is. It's not as untrue as you might think. I am using spatulas that were my great grandfather's. They're they're like my pride and joy. They're these two really long, like ten, I don't know, nine or ten inch long spatulas, super flexible, um, super like razor thin steel. Uh, my grandfather, great grandfather, was a chef, and so oh. I've got a couple of his knives and some of his spatulas that have been handed down to me. And I still use them; they're awesome. Like you cannot, I cannot find anything like them. Maybe at a super, super high end retailer, but they're amazing. So I, That's I love those. Pretty boys. cool. What kind of chef was he? He worked. Ooh, I want to get this right. He worked at a pretty nice restaurant in downtown Seattle. Okay. Um, I don't any uh, particular cuisine, or was it? I'm thinking American, quote unquote. Yeah, American. I would have to check with my dad. I think it was sort of American, probably seafood. Yeah, it was. It was on one of the piers in downtown oh, Seattle. Cool. So, oh, yeah, seafood. I love seafood, and I never eat seafood. Yeah, because my wife hates seafood. Oh, so, sad. so I take one for the team. Jackson, we will have you guys over for dinner, and we'll do like a surf and turf. Oh, thank you. So that you can, because I don't. She tells me that I can cook it but I also know that that's false <laughs> because I know we all make choices and they have consequences. Yes, exactly. I know you can that do whatever you want, her, Jackson. Yeah, I can. Yeah. 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 Um, 
but it will have consequences. No, I think part of the reason that she doesn't like it is because she doesn't like the smell. Yeah. Um, of cooked. She, she'll eat sushi. So that's the seafood that I get. So raw is fine. Um, but that's true of salmon as well as white fish. Yes. Shrimp. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. I don't know that she would eat raw shrimp. I wouldn't. I mean, I, <laughs> even in sushi, the shrimp is cooked, yeah. right? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. So, so we're not talking, <laughs> talking about seafood today. Or or cooking. No. Though we we could do an episode on how cooking reflects the glory of God. Because both of us, Jackson's yes. a fine chef and baker. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's true. But... You are as well. It's something that we we have in common that we yeah. enjoy sharing. It's you know sharing recipes and yeah. techniques, all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, but but unrelated. <laughs> yeah, we we're going to talk about a master chef of theology. Ooh. Well, no, that was a bad transition. I was going to say, speaking of. The freedom to choose, but not really the freedom to choose. Yes, because it's ordained that Let's we're going to talk about... Reformed theology. Yeah. Woo. So, first off, I want to talk to say that this is not... When we designed, when we came up, conceptualized this podcast, it was not supposed to be a theology podcast in the sense that we are talking about theology exclusively but it's more of a applied theology um podcast so yeah Yeah. here's the issues of the world here's the issues that we we see um maybe not even issues but here's some concepts that we um are trying to put forward on how to live our life so applied theology christian living is how we describe the podcast but all of that stems from somewhere and so You can't get to Christian living or applied theology without having theology. So we realize that our listeners might be a part of our church. Our, our listeners might not be a part of our church. And if you've listened to us at all, you know that Dan quotes a bunch of Reformed theologians. And I don't quote any theologians. So <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes every yeah. now and then. But... Um, we just thought we'd go over Reformed theology so you guys yeah. know what angle we're coming at all of this from. Yeah. And, and so you know say, what's right. I'm yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> there's only one true theology, and it's Reformed theology. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. No, but I do, I do think, too, I, I think that Reformed theology, and obviously I'm biased because I'm in the Reformed tradition, but I do think Reformed theology is practical, and as we think about life in the kingdom, how do we live as kingdom people? I actually think that some of the the basic presuppositions we might call them, or confessions, uh, doctrines of Reformed theology, I think are actually really helpful for stepping into the kingdom and and thinking about help th- that help us frame our understanding of what it means to live as kingdom people and to live under the authority of Christ the King, hmm. uh, which again is sort of where we started this. So. Yeah, not that other theologies or other ways of thought can't help you, but I, I just think reform has reform theology has a lot to say um, to us. So, so 
I kind of want to take a step back. We were talking yeah. about Reformed theology, but you explained something to me earlier that I think would be really helpful entering into this conversation. Good. Of what is the different When we talk about theology, what are we actually talking about? Yes. And I, I think that sometimes um, we we think that we're talking about theology when we're actually talking about what you coined as religion. Yeah. So yeah. why don't you walk us through what's the difference between religion and theology and how yeah. how do you see that playing a part in this conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm before I start in, I'm just gonna RC Sproul, who some of you may My be man. familiar with him, some of you may not be, but he's got some great stuff on the difference between theology and religion. I think there's even some lectures on YouTube that you can find. Um and I would direct you to him because I think he does a great job and more in depth. But when we talk about theology, the I like to break it down. The, the two words that make up theology are theos, which is the Greek word meaning God, and logos, which is the Greek word for word. Um, so it's God's word or words about God. And there's sort of two ways you can sort of think about theology. Theology is generally understood as what we say, what we think about God, right? So it's it's just our conversation as people about the God who made us. I also think, and this is where Reformed theology I think is helpful, is that theology, talking about God, begins with God talking. Uh, we call it revelation, but so theology also is God's words to us, and then we respond to God's first move. Um, but that, that's the basics of theology. We're trying to understand who is God, um, what is the nature of God, what is the character of God, who is God who is revealed to us as Christians, revealed to us, has spoken to us, has made himself known to us in the pages of Scripture, in and through Jesus Christ. Who is this God? That's sort of the work of theology. Um and a lot of things sort of stem from that that basic question of who is God, of what is the nature of God, and then who are we supposed to be? What has God called us to do? How do we live in response to God? That's sort of, so, you know, ethics, obedience, like some of those things fall under theology, but it all begins with, with the nature of God, who is God. Um, which is why, and we'll get into it, this is sort of getting the cart ahead of the horse, but why issues like sovereignty and providence and such are, are really big and reformed theology, again, because we want to begin with the nature of God. Yeah. That shapes everything else in our theology. So, Relig- so theology, yeah. just to kind of recap yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, please, please. Theology is our conversation about who God is. Yeah. Right? So under a Christian umbrella, there can be multiple theologies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So now we're taking a step back to, I already kind of said, Christian umbrella. Yeah. That would be at the level of religion, right? Wait, say that again. The Christian umbrella that I've referenced would be at the level of religion. Yeah, I think, well, how I might distinguish it, and again, I am drawing from Sproul here, but I think he's right. Religion, I would say, is sort of the 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 human structure of of uh, faith, <laughs> we might say. So, so I think when we think about religions, we do think talk often about like world religions. Um, 
but a lot of that maybe is focused on the the way in which we structure our life around liturgies, around worship, sort of our our life together. So it's it's more focused on sort of the human response, whereas theology is focused on on who is God. Mm. Um, and so that's where Reformed theology is not. It leads us, and it may be when we live that out, or it directs our understanding of how should we structure a worship service, right? But the worship service itself is not the theology. right? Um, and I think people often, they'll say, well, what is a Presbyterian? Well, Presbyterians are people who say the Apostles' Creed and whose pastors wear robes and who Don't have, raise their hands when they don't worship. Don't raise their hands, yeah. And that's really more looking at sort of the religious side that is an outworking of a particular theology, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe yeah. it has nothing to do with the, the theology, right? Sure. So I hear this a lot, that Methodists and Presbyterians are essentially the same. And really what people m- often mean is that if I go to a Presbyterian service, or if I go to a Methodist service, it feels the same. Pastors are in robes in both places. If you're mm-hmm. going to a traditional place, you're singing probably the same sorts of hymns. You're going to say a prayer of confession in both places. Mm-hmm. You're going to say the Apostles' Creed in both places. Yep. It's going to feel very similar. But that's really a sort of religious statement. <laughs> the religion that I am seeing is the same. But if we actually get down to what is the theology, then you're going to say, what do we say about God? What do we say about ourselves? Then you're going to actually see that there are some not insignificant differences in theology. Right. So that's sort of... So when we say under the Christian umbrella, of we can have multiple theologies, There, those multiple theologies still have things in common that would cause them to fall under the Christian right. umbrella. Right, 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 right. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. cool. Glad we cleared yeah. that one up. And generally speaking, it would be... You know, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Trinitarian theology, um, the centrality of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, um, that's that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Scripture is the authoritative book. Um, and, and again, we can, that, what's the relationship of Scripture to reason, to church authority, but Scripture will still be a central piece of the puzzle. Sure. Right. So Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're done. So we're done. Cool. So do we want to talk through the history? Sure. How do we how do we get here? Yeah. In I brief, think that's probably a good idea. Really brief. Yeah. Brief history. Brief history. So once upon a time. <laughs> not Land. once upon a time. It actually happened. There was this guy named Jesus, right? And yeah. he as we covered in our our last episode, he um lived he died, and we believe that he was bodily resurrected. He was resurrected, and then he ascended, and then the uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came down to his his believers, and thus the church started. Right? Yes. And started in different congregations and all that stuff, and the word spread, and eventually we fast forward a lot through lots of different. Um, councils and meetings and all this good stuff and we get to the great schism where the church essentially 
divides into Eastern Orthodox and Catholic. Yes. Okay. East and West. East and West. That's correct. So um, then we fast forward through lots of other times and lots of world events and more stuff. And then we get to this next big split of the Reformation. Yeah. The not-so-great not schism. The not-so-great schism. Yeah. Right. And so in that, we see kind of where the birth of Reformed theology. That's yeah. why we're talking about this. The birth of Reformed theology where yeah. you get the Protestants and the Catholics yeah. kind of branching off again. And then most... Um, most theologies that are not Catholic theologies are um, born out of that time period. They're not yeah. all Reformed, yes, but they yeah. are born out of that time period. Yeah, and it's the language gets kind of confusing. I, I yeah. think because you talk about there's the Protestant Reformation and there's Protestants sort of versus Catholics. We also call it the Reformation, and we have Reformed theology, which obviously carries like a similar word basis to it, but not all theologies coming out of the Reformation are Reformed and are Reformed Protestant. So anyway, I think it's sort of Protestant would be a general heading, heading of the segment of the church that broke from Rome around the 15th, 16th, 17th century, under the large heading of Protestant, you would have Reformed and Lutheran and sort of Anabaptist, non-denominational yeah. sort of thing. And then those streams carry forward. The Anglicans would also be another subheading of Protestants. Um, but then there's also some overlap. You can have Reformed Anglicans. You can have Reformed Baptists. Um, anyways, so it gets sort of convoluted as... And then later on down, down the line, you have the Pentecostal movement yes. that uh, yes. happens a little bit later, which is kind of the next big jutting yeah. Um, yeah. formation of a, a, a theology, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, How did well, I do? That was great. Okay. That was great, yeah. Good. Huzzah. Uh, <laughs> Dan's the scholar, <laughs> the historian. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and if you want any more dates, come to my confirmation lesson. Yes, year, <laughs> you get all the councils. You get all the councils. The councils are important. Yeah, and so the the Reformation, fifteen uh, seventeen, is when Martin Luther nails the ninety five theses to the door of the chapel in Wittenberg, Germany. Martin Luther was a monk in the Augustinian order. He saw some issues in the catholic church at the time one of the primary ones being indulgences the sale of indulgences it was um essentially you could buy the forgiveness of a sin or the undoing of a sin it's not going to be counted against you um not going to count against your time in, in purgatory whatever that might be and a lot of these indulgences, the sales were being used to fund the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And Luther just had 95 reasons, <laughs> among other things, why he thought that this uh, practice was not in keeping with Scripture. He had been teaching on Romans. He had been teaching on Galatians. Uh, he had a, a wise mentor who who was working with him and said, well, you should read Paul. And uh 
So he was reading Galatians, he was reading Romans, he was reading Paul's words about being justified by grace through faith, and he was thinking this doesn't really match up with what the church is teaching, the church's practices. Uh, if the Pope can forgive people through the sale of indulgences, why doesn't the Pope just forgive people without the sale of indulgences? These sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. Luther wants to have a dialogue. The Pope does not really want to have a dialogue asks him to rescind all of his arguments. This is again a rough and dirty history of Martin Luther. And uh and there's a there's a split. He is excommunicated from the church and that's sort of generally seen as the birth of the reformation, the birth of protestantism. Um now the reformed tradition actually really traces back to Calvin who was a little bit later than mm-hmm. Martin Luther, but similar to Luther and, some, and, and there were a number of these people at the time, uh, even before Luther, um, John Wycliffe, or uh, Huss. Um, there were people that died who didn't, uh, whose, whose deaths and just because of what was going on didn't spark the Reformation as we have it today. And there are a lot of political factors. There are a lot of historical factors. This is why you can teach an entire class on the Reformation because, yeah. I mean, it gets into like how the, the Renaissance and rebirth of language and national identity and a sort of a decentralization of power within the Roman Empire or the Holy Roman Empire and bad popes. I mean, like, yeah, there's a lot here. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're flushing by all that. Flushing by all that? Rushing by all that. <laughs> flushing by all that. Um, I'll insert a sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> but lo and behold, you have, you have uh, the Reformation, and you have these, these, these men like Luther and like Calvin who are not trying to do anything new. They're not trying to start a new way of thought or a mm-hmm. new religion. They're not trying to uh, even have... Uh, a new theology. What they are trying to do is to get back to what they believe to be the true witness of Scripture, right? right. So, um, you know, they wouldn't say, this isn't Reformed theology, this is just Pauline theology, yeah. right? This is just New Testament theology. This right. is what we see in Scripture. Um, and obviously that's part of the debate, right? <laughs> um, but that, that's their goal, is to get back to the authentic witness of Scripture. What's the, what's the, what are the big ideas what are the key thoughts? Um, yeah, and so you talked about John Calvin being kind of the father of Reformed theology. Yeah. Um, but there there are aspects that are borrowed from Martin Luther, like the five solas, right? Isn't that a Martin Luther thing? Or is that so, a someone else? Yeah, no. So I actually, I actually learned this in teaching on this because someone asked me, when when did the five solas come up? And the five solas are actually not codif- like the five solas are taking principles from the Reformation and mm-hmm. making them into five like teachable ideas. Ah, I see. And that wasn't till much later. Ah, yeah, cool. I actually learned that recently because someone asked me when were the five solas. Like, I've always heard it attributed to Martin Luther. You probably which, could find all of those sure. in his writings, yeah, and and I think in in Calvin as well. But they're not. I don't he think he ever lays like, so like, here are the five solas. Yeah. Here are the five things that that we believe. Um, Just, I'm going to put a pause on this and yeah. say that um, I told I told Dan this is kind of funny um, because I was born and raised in the, well, I wasn't born into the Reformed tradition, but I spent all of my church life in the Reformed tradition. 
and learning Reformed theology, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about Reformed theology until I started working here. I mean, I could have told you it would have reflected in how I viewed God and some of the things that I would articulate about him, but I would not have been able to label it as, oh, I ascribe to Reformed theology as opposed to a different type of theology. So um, even if you are a listener that's a part of our church, you might have heard that word tossed around, and you don't really know exactly what all that means. So, And then you have Dan, who was not raised Reformed in Uh, a Reformed tradition, but then came to the Reformed tradition later in schooling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In sort of end of college, grad school. Yeah. And I was a reluctant convert, if you want to call it that, to the Reformed tradition because of issues we'll get to later. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's all to say. Just because you're a part of a reformed uh, church, or if you're um, learning reformed theology, doesn't mean you're going to na- naturally know exactly the points that we're making. Yeah, and 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 we there are probably this will be our take on what it means to be reformed. Sure. Yeah. There's <laughs> um, there's a uh, accents within. Yeah, Reform. there's accents within the accent. Yeah, yeah. So, but the five solas, yeah, I, I think is a is a great place to start. It, okay. it, it's just a, a good sort of summary of some some of the highlights of Reformed theology and really of the Reformation emphasis of these early theologians as they were sort of trying to figure out what is it that we believe, what has Catholicism said, and where do we see some of the rub. So the five solas, let's all say them together. Uh, scripture alone. Scripture alone. Uh-huh. In Christ alone. Christ alone. Uh, it, through faith alone. Faith alone. By grace alone. By grace alone. God's glory alone. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I always get four. Yeah, four is like, pretty there's, good. There's that's, there's five of them. I only know four. Yeah, that's 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 a solid B, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not a solid one. It's a shaky B, but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and, and, so the logic sort of, as I, so we're saved, this is about salvation, right? Right. So we're saved, we're put into a right relationship with God, we are uh, redeemed, we're rescued, we're brought into the kingdom of God, all that language of salvation by grace alone is the first thing. So it's God's grace, and that's a huge emphasis in Reformed theology, that God's grace always comes first, mm. that God always makes the first move. Yeah, that... I got that wrong. I didn't I didn't put that one first. That's okay. No, that's okay. Uh, we, we were just getting to all five. Yeah. yeah. And then we can, you know, put them back in order. But that's the, you know, we always, we're always responsive to the grace of God. That's always first. Um, God creates, God recreates, God moves, God calls, we respond. So grace alone through faith alone which is then that's the sort of what the response that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Reformed theology would still say that even that is not necessarily of our own volition or will, but it's because of the grace of God that is at work in us that enables us to have a, a saving faith, come to faith. Mm-hmm. So by grace alone, through faith alone. And we get those two because of Scripture alone, right? Yes, Because that's exactly. straight out of Ephesians. Exactly, right? yeah. So we're leaning on Scripture 
and scripture's authority that we don't need anything outside of, of yes. scripture. Um, there's no extra biblical text that we, right. we rely on. Yes. Here. And I think that's a really important one, particularly again, thinking about the reformation, you had these doctrines of the church and doctrines of popes and councils that had been held up as being equally authoritative to Scripture. Mm -hmm. And the Reformed tradition does not say that human reason or human argument or human writing is not valuable or important. We, I quote a lot of Calvin, right? We, right. We, we, everyone in the Reformed tradition uh, quotes from Calvin, reads Calvin. We go back to some of the catechisms, the teaching tools, some mm -hmm. of the confessions that were made, the Westminster, um, Heidelberg, whatever else. So we believe that there is authority in those things that were written down, but the ultimate authority, the final authority is Scripture, mm -hmm. and anything that contradicts Scripture, anything that goes against the plain witness of Scripture will be uh, hopefully jettisoned from our theological framework because right. of its disagreement with Scripture. So Scripture always has the final word, and it stands alone in having the final word. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we can have other resources. Yeah, we can have reason is great. Reason is important. Experience is good. Experience is important. But, but it's not the same as Scripture. Yes, we always have to bring that. Does this match up with Scripture? Yeah. yeah. And the Reformers would say that Scripture has everything in and of itself that is necessary for salvation. So even without sort of experience or reason, like, or, well, I mean, you re use reason in reading scripture, but scripture has everything necessary for faith and for life, mm. right? Um, so, not that other things aren't good, again, but um, but the principles and what's in scripture is is sufficient. Um, yeah. So scripture alone, and then scripture is all about Christ, right? Right. And our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in pastors, it's not in popes, but it's in Christ. It's not even in the church, right? The church could fade away, but Christ remains, and our faith is in Christ, and our hope of salvation is in Christ, and what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final thing is that all of this enables us to live for God's glory alone. And that's a huge, I would say that's a huge reformed emphasis is God's glory. Yeah, that's a big one for me I, to leave out. <laughs> okay, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a really big emphasis is that all we were created, and this is the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the one question that most of us know, even if we don't know any of the other questions, but what's the chief end of humanity? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But right at the top of that is that why were we created to glorify God? That's that's a fundamental reformed focus. Um, God deserves all the glory, and we were created to glorify God. And so all of our lives, as we think about what does it mean to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, what does it mean to live with Christ uh, with Christ as Lord and as King, you know, what's the focus of all of those things? It's God's glory. Yeah, and when you're talking about applied theology. All five of these are super important when we go to apply it to how we live our life, but also this this last one is is 
incredibly important because it really dispels a lot of the of the beliefs of culture today of yeah i deserve this or because i yeah. want to or this kind of yeah um individualism and right. um uh what is the term that i'm looking for consumerism well i think yeah consumerism <laughs> as well um, but i'm looking for relative truth mm. that's what i'm looking for yeah um it kind of dispels yeah, you that because you it's not about me it's yeah. about god and his glory and so yeah. that this is again where we say that like theology is important <clears throat> in how we live our life is that if we have the understanding that this is not about us and that we actually played like no part at all in this because we weren't Christ. We didn't die. Yeah. It's not for our glory. Yeah. Um, we don't have the same authority in ourselves as scripture does. Um, it's through faith, which is enabled by God's grace. Yeah. What do I play? What part yeah. do I play in that? Yeah. You were there. I was there. <laughs> you exactly. Were, you were definitely there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and I mean, there's some nuances that are in yeah, there, but yeah, yeah. but and w- that we can get into later. But this is just an example of like why we're going over this this theology because it, yeah. it there are practical applications for how yeah. that is manifested in our life. Yeah. Um, as we live to the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a big one. I mean, how does desiring God's glory shape day-to-day life, yeah. right? Our decisions and how we choose to use our time and our money and how we interact with people and how we interact with people that were created in the image of God. And and this is where, I, and, and Lewis, Lewis was Anglican, and I would not call him Reformed, but, you know, he's a close friend of us Reformed yeah. people. <laughs> we wish he was Reformed, right? Yeah. Um, it's like, a lot of Presbyterians wish that Bonhoeffer were Presbyterian, but he was Lutheran. We get really sad about that. Oh, um, oh poor, poor boy. Poor um, us. Poor us. But Luther, uh, nope, not Luther. C.S. Lewis has a great article. My favorite single work of theology that he does is an essay called The Weight of Glory. Mm-hmm. And it, he's talking about the fact that we live for God's glory, but we are also destined to participate in God's glory. And you, and you get that in a few different passages in Scripture um, that we're being changed from glory to glory. And with unveiled faces, we will behold and the glory of God. We will be like him because um, we will see him as he is. That's kind of a combination of Colossians and then John, 1 John chapter 3. So we're created for glory. And so how does that sort of impact the way that we live if we were created to participate in God's glory? And at the end of that essay, C.S. Lewis then talks about how does that impact the way we interact with our neighbor if they were also created to share in the glory of God, mm-hmm. right? That changes, should change how you view your neighbor um, if they were created for this everlasting glory with the potential of being, of living into this everlasting glory, yeah. right? You take them seriously. You you treat them with a different gravitas than you might. You're not able to dismiss them, right? In the same way that you, or, or ideally, right? If we're taking right. this stuff to heart, sure. if we're letting this theology actually impact us, then it then it will have, that's why uh, theology is practical, right? Theology is tremendously practical. We all believe something. We all have ideas and thoughts that shape our life. And the question is what thoughts and what ideas are shaping our lives? Yeah. 
This is sort of a soapbox for me. I don't no, know no, if you no. can tell. But I, <laughs> I love it because I, I think the that last point that you made as far as like we all believe something, like we have theology. It's whether right, exactly. it, and, and and you know I don't know that any theology is perfect. Yeah. But I think that it's important to think through a theology and to ascribe to a theology. Now, I don't think that I'm necessarily like, I, I'm, I'm not John Calvin. I don't, what? you know, yeah. uh, I'm not, I don't share in all of the things that he thinks or believes, Yeah, but, yeah. but I hold on to reform theology because if I was to just like create this myself, I'd come up with something really squirrely. Yeah. Right. And right, so yeah. I think that that's, it's important to kind of, um, come to an understanding of a theology that's already presented because um, these theologies that are presented under the Christian theology umbrella are, they're pretty tried and true. And I've I've got discrepancies with some of them, but you know, like I said, no theology is perfect. And so when we, I, so often now I think we see people, creating their own theology Mm -hmm. and their own there in in doing so they're creating their own God. Mm -hmm. They're, they're creating their own version of pseudo Jesus that they like. And then that's what they follow. And so, um, that, that, that's why it's been important to me over the last several years Mm -hmm. to kind of come to understand and know and realize that this is where I land. Um, not because it's perfect, not because I think it's, I I do think it's the best out there, but (laughs) it's not because that this theology makes me superior or is, you know, anything like that. It's just that I got to lean on something, uh, a framework that is not of my own making. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. And there's the book of judges has the refrain that there was no King in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I think that's the world we live in. There's no overarching principle guiding ideology even. Well, there there are, I would argue. But essentially, the, the, the overarching theologies of our world is you do you and do whatever you think is right. And, and part of the Christian life is to humble ourselves and to submit ourselves to Christ. And, and I think that coming, sort of stepping into a theological tradition is a way of sort of enacting that submission. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't have to be Reformed theology. I mean, I, again, I do think theolo- Reformed theology is is a truthful representation of what is in Scripture, right, and the ideas of Scripture. But um, but I think the, the biggest, one of the biggest dangers we can get into is trying to do theology in a vacuum. Yeah. Trying to do theology yeah. just by ourselves and for well, ourselves. And it's kind of difficult to talk about this because if I thought that there was a better one, then I probably would have ended up there, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But yeah. I also realized that not everyone thinks like me and that I'm not the, the yeah. only person in yeah. the world and I'm not king of the world, nor yeah. should I be king of the world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, there's, there's really great things about Catholic theology. Yeah. There's really great things yeah. about Baptist theology. There's really great things about um, Methodist theology. Um, mm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. We love you, Methodist out there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It, it's not that we're trying to convert you to 
uh, well, I'm not trying to convert you to <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Dan's over there scheming. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, we're not trying to convert you to reform theology, but just kind of explaining where we, where it is that we're yeah, coming from we and come from, what, what angle it is that we approach God and we, we yeah. approach these, these, um, uh, these concepts and the, these ideas that, that yeah. we we see ourselves faced with. Yeah. Yeah. So I ran across a quote that I, I, I love. It's by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. Um, and we're actually going through his book, The Hole in Our Holiness. It's been our Wednesday night downtown oh, yeah. conversation and the Lenten conversation for key groups. But uh, I um, ran across a little video of his on YouTube talking about Reformed Theology and one of the things he said is that Reformed theology makes God really big and us really small. And I, I agree with that, and I think that that's part of the... Um, it is like a, a summation and part of what I like about Reformed theology is that it makes God really big. When we talk about providence and sovereignty and even things like predestination and election... The emphasis, when we talk about the glory of God, which we've been talking about, you know, the emphasis is is all on on God. We want to make God as big as possible, right? We want to make God as as real and as present as possible. We want the words that God speaks to to carry as much weight as possible in our lives um, so that we're not finding ourselves with our words weighing out against God's words at the same, you know, we're not the same weight class, right? Um and even when it comes to salvation, we the emphasis is that God has done the heavy lifting. However, we want to parse that out. God has done the heavy lifting. It's a big God um, who is ruling and overruling, who accomplishes God's purposes for us, for creation, whose promises will come to completion according to his will. Like, it's a big God. And in that we're small, we're not insignificant, we're not without value, but um, that's that that's sort of the you know uh, it's a de-emphasis of self and a re-emphasis of God. I I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that's a pretty good last words. So yeah, but more this you is teach. just kind of the as as you go back and maybe listen to some of our older stuff, or if you. Um, as you listen forward, this is always the angle that we're going to be coming to things is um, that it's coming through a lens of grace yeah. and a um, lens of, of, of God's sovereignty mm-hmm. that, it, that it's not about us, yep. that it's about the glory of God and, yeah. it's in, and that Christ is sufficient, that his, his sacrifice is, is sufficient, yeah. um, that his, his death and resurrection and go back and listen to the resurrection one. It's why yeah. the resurrection is so important. Yeah. You know, um, but this is, this has profound effect on how we live our life. Yeah, and so that's absolutely. why we thought it was important to cover just to know where we're coming from and how this is helpful as we seek to stay tied into the vine. Right. Right. Um, and there are lots of good resources. If, uh, as always, if you want to grab coffee, we'd love to grab coffee. But also, if you want to, any resources on Reformed theology and what do we believe and how do we differentiate from Catholicism or... Because we didn't even get into, you know, the, the sacraments or church structure sure, or yeah. prayer. I mean, like, there's so many different things that we didn't even begin to cover. Um, 
But let us know, reach out, and we, we'd love to hook you up with some resources or just sit down and chat. And we might do some more episodes on this over time. So we'll yeah, and and uh, I also you know come come to First Prez even if you don't subscribe to every little bitty thing like we we'd love to have you here yeah um um so it again this is not something where we got to have all of our ducks in a row to uh, enter into the throne room throne room of grace yes that that yeah. um that that Christ already died for that and he yeah. and and so um yeah. Come join us on Sunday. We'd love to have you. Um, but until we see you next, or until we talk at you again, have a great week. Have a great week, yeah. Month, however long it'll be. Yeah. Happy Easter Tide. Easter Tide. Thanks for listening. Toodles, poodles. We did a pretty good job on that the other day. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no.